Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends, welcome back to the show today. Um, we've got one of my best friends in the world on with me from Memphis, Tennessee, Mr. Joshua Ross. How are you, Joshua? What's going on, man? Thanks for, uh, we're doing talking on a Saturday afternoon, man. Thanks for taking the time on a Saturday to talk with me. It, you know, it just hit me. It's been, it's been probably two years since you first started the podcast, since we did a podcast when I was in Memphis. The other podcast we have done, we have been in Malibu. Yes. Yes. So this Memphis. is nice. That is nice, but this is, this is home. Home. Yes. The, uh, what is it? The zip code or area code for Memphis? The, 501, the 901, 901, choose 901. And you're even rocking the Memphis hat right now. You've become Mr. Memphis. I I am, man. And my wife works for choose 901. In fact, for anybody listening to this podcast, if you want to see a, a good, helpful, positive way to market your city, go check out choose901.com. And you will be blown away. I mean, other cities are coming to Memphis to learn how to market their city, to tell good, positive stories. So how is that for promotion? Yeah, you just jump right in. Like you just, you're just right into it. So you've, you've chosen 901. Now, we also know the, the second son of Memphis, not you, but Justin Timberlake has his, what is it, like a vodka or tequila company? Since you're yeah. so 901, have you switched your church's communion from grape juice to the <laughs> Memphis vodka or whatever tequila that uh, Timberlake sells? I, I cannot answer that question. <laughs> okay, fair <laughs> enough. Fair not enough. yet, not yet. Fair enough. So you are Mr. Memphis. You got a shout out the other day. We did the uh, Hillsong podcast and you were Mr. Memphis at the Hillsong conference. Or com- I was, man. I concert. listened to that, that podcast this morning. I was on the elliptical. Dude, fantastic job. All right. But I noticed the progression throughout that 45, 50 minute conversation with Joel. Okay. Because the first couple of times you referenced me, it was, I have a buddy in Memphis. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even have a name, man. I was just some buddy, like some acquaintance. Oh, but towards the end, when you start talking about my sister's death six years ago, then I became your best friend from Memphis. <laughs> <laughs> there was like this progression that mm-hmm. happened, yeah. and I just need your—I need—I need your listeners to know how hard I worked my fingers to the bone to help get you to where you are today. <laughs> yes, you have. And what I wanted <laughs> to show in that conversation was how we started um, back in 2000, sitting in a Bible class together. You with a Bible that was literally duct taped together, and you were wearing your flannel pajama pants. And now right. our friendship has blossomed over like 16 years. And part of the different words I used to describe you showed that progression. And I, I think a, a astute <laughs> Okay, I can go there. And look, man, you defied the odds, dude, because those C's that you made back in Greek, remember, <laughs> in grad school, and to see what you're doing today. In all seriousness, man, I, mm-hmm. I, love, I love where you are now in Austin. I love that your family is uh, in a place where you're thriving. And what you're doing with your podcast, how you're sparking conversations, it's great. It's great to see how the Lord's uh, using you. So okay. now I've given Memphis an amount of one a prop. I've affirmed my boy Luke. Gosh. So where you're do just, we go from here, man? You're just all about love, man. You're just giving love to your city, giving love to your boy Luke. Man, this is – I need to have you on more often. I don't know why I have Stormin' on so much. I should have you on. You're so much nicer <laughs> than him. 
so much nicer than him. But you are the the guy who loves Hillsong. I mean, you were. I okay. So um, the Hillsong uh, interview got booked on like the day before or something like that. I think I, it was a Thursday, and Wednesday morning I'm driving to work and we're on the phone talking. Uh-huh. And you're like, yeah, I went to the Hillsong thing last night. And I was like, oh, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm going to tomorrow night. I'm going to talk to Joel before. And you were, I think that was probably the most excited you've been about any podcast that I've done. Uh, man, I, right up there. I, it was right up there. I mean, some of the stuff you've done, I mean, with NC Ride, Donald Miller, Philip Yancey, I was very excited about that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but dude, Hillsong, man, they played a huge part of my life for, for a long time. I mean, it, even people who don't think they like Hillsong, they sing songs every Sunday that come from Hillsong. I mean, like, Hillsong yeah. has had an enormous impact on uh, on us, and maybe yeah. we don't even know it. But, yeah, I started listening to Hillsong probably a decade ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, man, that I've seen them live pretty much any time. They're a group anytime they're within about a 90-minute radius of Memphis. If they're playing somewhere like northern Mississippi or somewhere, I will, I'll do my best to get stop whatever I'm doing. And get there because here's here's the thing too man i mean like uh my podcast i mean my my phone if you were to go to my itunes and see my music like it's it's you basically go from hillsong to lecrae to toby mac to bethel and then some other stuff will be sprinkled in okay uh but dude when i get a chance to go with my wife to just some worship event where i don't have to get up on stage i don't have to give a i don't have to talk i don't have to do an announcement i have no responsibility and when we get to do that and just lay ourselves before the Lord for three or four hours with no kids, like nobody pulling on your, you know, pulling on your, slapping on your butt, you know, get, yeah. trying to get your attention. And we're, you're just able to be there with the Lord. Like, dude, it is, uh, those are nights that shape and form me. So the other night, Hillsong United was here in Memphis and we made plans to go. Um, dude, it's funny. Look, I, I, uh, I sent a text to some people here at Sycamore View who I know love Hillsong. They love that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I sent a text to about 10 or 15 people. And I said, hey, do you guys want to go? I'll put it on my credit card. You can pay me back. We can all sit together. Little did I know that those people would text people they knew. And I ended up I ended up buying 65 tickets on my credit card. Oh, my goodness. I hope and they paid 64 you back. of them. 64 of them paid, paid me back. <laughs> So we, man, we probably had 80 or 90 Sycamore View people there. It was awesome. Wow, that's pretty cool. And my, my love, my love and affection for Hillsong really grew six years ago when Jenny died. Really? Uh, man, they came out with a, an album, I think it was right around that time, called This Is Our God. Mm-hmm. And there were two or three songs on that album that, man, I latched onto in the raw stages, beginning stages of my grief. Uh, and maybe those, maybe they latched onto me just as much as I latched onto them. Yeah. And do you remember the titles that, of them? <clears throat> I do. Uh, one was a uh, healer. Yeah. Uh, another was uh, stronger and same power. Um, I think it's called same power, same power to conquer the grave lives in me. Yeah. It's like a little two minute song. And that was pretty much the whole song, you know, same power that conquer the grave Listen. lives in me. Yeah. So, yeah, a few months after Jenny died, when um, you know it takes a few months for the the stone to be made, and when the when the stone was finished and they put it out uh, at her cemetery uh, where she is, I, I went out there and uh, I took my Bible. I took First Corinthians fifteen, 
And I remember kind of standing there right there close to where she was buried. And my prayer to God was, I need you to remind me of, of, of the truth of resurrection. And I took my iPod with me. And those were the three songs I listened to over and over again for a few hours in a place where I needed God to remind me that because of, because of what Jesus has accomplished, the tomb is empty. Uh, resurrection has provided us with hope that, uh, changes everything, man. Hmm. And so their music is doing that for you. There, the, the story that I think I've told multiple times, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure there are dozens of people who have told this story, but the, the question your mom asked your dad when she's walking out of the hospital, the, you know, Rick, tell us what we, what we believe in. And your dad says, but, uh, we believe the tomb is empty, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you've got to be reminded this is who we are as people. And that music did that for you. It's like, this is reminding you the story of resurrection. And that's what you held on to. That's what connected to you so much. Yeah. Yeah. To Hillsong. To Hillsong yeah. United. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. I mean, dude, there, there are probably only three groups. You know, my, my boys are huge Lecrae and Toby Mac fans. Okay. And dude, I'm raising two boys that they're beat boys, man. These kids can spin on their head. They can. If you know who Jabberwockies are, these uh-huh. dudes may be future Jabberwockies, all right? Really? They're <laughs> and dancing to Lecrae and Toby Mac, it, it's, it, it's become like something we do as a family. So anytime Lecrae, Toby Mac, or Hillsong United come out with a new album, I pre-order it. It's on my phone at midnight, especially Hillsong. I'm, I'm digging into their songs before I even go to sleep that night because I think they do such a great job highlighting things that are so close to my heart you know the resurrection conquers death sin uh i think they have some heaven earth language in their Mm -hmm. songs it is so profound because it's it's not just about how you meet god in your closet it's about how the power of god it it calls us into the world it's about justice and peace and reconciliation so yeah yeah and their music does a great job of that um did, did one of those songs get sung at the funeral service or at, at when we were at the Hills? I thought that mm. I'm trying to remember what song, obviously the, um, the Jose, the Leonard Cohen version of, uh, Hallelujah. Yeah. Right? It's a broken Hallelujah. I forget the title of that song. Yeah. I think that's right. Broken Hallelujah. Did that one. Yeah. I was undone in the funeral when that came on. Did your brother lead that? Yeah. Yeah. So you've so six years ago when when Jenny passes away it'll be six years on Monday, um, right? We'll post this on uh, on that day. So it'll be six years later. Um, as you think back to your part in doing, I mean, you did your sister's funeral. Would you recommend that to someone else who's in our position, a person who does, who's a minister person, oh. a pastor, and because um, when you did that, you did such a great job. It was so powerful. Um, I mean, you told some great stories, gave a shout out to Fresh Prince in there. Um, <laughs> and uh, I mean, yeah. I was bawling like a little child in the front row and I couldn't imagine doing that. Like, I I don't think I, I would be able to, to do that. And I know everyone deals with grief differently. So you're not trying to prescribe like this is the only right way to do it. Um, but if someone else had asked you, hey, do you think this is a good idea? Can I do this? What do you say to them? Okay. Well, here's what I had in my corner that day. Okay. Rick Ashley was going to be stepping up a few minutes after me to offer, you know, a 20 minute eulogy as well. 
Mm-hmm. So I knew if I broke down to a point where I could not make it, mm-hmm. we have like the best preacher you and I know who's stepping up in a few minutes to to give some good news about what Jesus has done. So yeah. <laughs> I knew I wasn't the only one. Mm-hmm. And man, I, I'll tell you, um, in fact, uh, our, our good friend, Mike Hope, uh, Diane and Randy Harris and our buddy Brady, uh, Brady Bryce, they drove over the night before for the visitation. Mm-hmm. And Diane actually like pretty much grabbed me by the shoulders and she was like, don't try to do it tomorrow. You know, put it on video. That's what Mike did when uh, when Megan passed away, his daughter. Uh, mm-hmm. um, he did a video. Uh, and man, I, I, I don't know, Luke. I mean, I, I feel like God did something in that service. <laughs> that is hard um, to even put into words. Um, mm. Some of the humor I added into that funeral, I needed just as much for me as for anyone. Uh, humor of, I made a little Fresh Prince joke. There were some things, I, some jokes I made about my brother and I, and some stories I told about Jenny that I probably couldn't tell in any other context. Like the one time that mm. she cursed somebody out, you know, the... <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, I remember that. You know, the story where she's think, protecting by, you, yeah. you could probably count on one hand how many curse words my, my sister said her in her entire life. Or mm-hmm. uh, The one story my niece Malaya, who was nine at the time, wanted me to tell was my sister had a boyfriend who broke up with her in high school. And oh, she broke up with him and he threw up in the front yard. And she thinks that's the funniest story ever. So she's like, <laughs> please tell that story at the funeral. So some of that humor was for me. Uh, but, man, it really was. It was a... I don't know what you call it, man. It was a Holy Spirit filled day. I mean, the, mm-hmm. and I felt, I felt the prayers of friends and just the power of God kind of sweep me up on Eagle's wings. And we, and we still get, we still have a lot of people who uh, tell us how, how uh, impactful that, uh, that funeral service was. Yeah. I mean, I, it was a big deal to me. Just sitting there. So I don't know how to answer your question though, man. Uh, what yeah. advice to get? Maybe it's a bad question. Cause I don't, because I don't think you should prescribe that to anyone. I mean, it was it was the right thing to do for you, and um, I'm sure it's different for every person. I, I don't. Okay, so six years later, you're you're moving forward. Your life, your life continues. Life goes on. Uh, obviously, for many of us, you know, we follow the story. Uh, like 19 days in the ICU. Is that right? Is it 19 or uh, eight, Co- 18? Yeah. 18. So there's an outpouring of support then, but then people go back to work and they go back to their jobs and there's no, there's no calendar for grief. It continues to ebb and flow and sometimes it's more than others. And, you know, as you look back, like you've got this process of, you know, you go on with your life, you're still an uncle, you're still a husband, you're still a pastor, you're still a father. And I'm trying to imagine what it's like as you're having to process faith after that. I know some people talk about... Uh, you know, losing their innocence in some ways, uh-huh. like innocence is a code word for like naivete about how life is supposed to work and bad things aren't supposed to happen to me, or it's not supposed to be my sister who gets sick. As you've processed and articulated faith uh, for, for yourself personally, for your family, and then also as a pastor, do you describe like things like God and prayer and faith differently after this? Oh man, uh, great question. Um, yeah, I can't say my I can't say my theology uh, endured like an overhaul. Mm-hmm. 
I, what I did experience in my life and with other people who have walked a, a similar grief journey or probably any grief journey that's been filled with pain and brokenness and tragedy. Uh, some of the things you thought were the big rocks that you stand on no longer are the big rocks you stand on. Like, you know, the, mm. those list of convictions that you have that this is what I'm going to die clinging to. Some of those, it becomes smaller and smaller. Yeah. The, the convictions that you do have. Uh, I mean, for me, dude, I just have very little patience with some of the things we fight over. For instance, like on Sunday morning worship services, like trying to get that 60 or 75 or 80 minutes right and the fights that can be caused because of something that might happen for three or five minutes on a Sunday morning. Okay. Uh, those aren't things I want to die on anymore. Yeah. What I, for six years, what I do find myself doing for the past six years is when I'm in a season or when I have a day when um, I'm not really sure how all this stuff is playing out, how the, I'm not really sure what God is up to, I, I try to find a quiet place where I can just ask God to remind me of the things I know to be true. Like, okay, God, when it comes down to it, to the core of who I am, remind me of what I know to be true. And for me, it, it pretty much boils out of this. <clears throat> uh, God is the one who created in the beginning, and he's still creating new right now. God is the one who delivered in the Exodus, which is, to me, the greatest story of the Old Testament. And he's the one who still delivers now. God is the God of steadfast love, of hesed, of covenant love. Mm -hmm. And that is who he is now. And fourthly, uh, resurrection that... What, G what God did for Jesus, he's going to do for us. The tomb is empty. And because of that, uh, dude, I think, uh, I think the hope that we have through those four truths, especially the resurrection, the hope we have in the resurrection that ignites, it is what helps to ignite present-day passion. Hmm. So we're not just sitting back waiting for the day when God makes all things new. But the hope that we have of how resurrection is breaking into the world and resurrection power ignites uh, present-day passion. Hmm. It's given us – my sister's death in a weird kind of way for six years uh, has given us um, a greater purpose and, and energy to invest in, in the 901 here in Memphis and Shelby County. Just, uh, that, that if the resurrection is true, this is the best news for the world. So this means something for how we – Engage in conversations with our neighbors, with strangers, how our church interacts with the community, you know, where we live and, uh, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. So when you wrote, uh, Scarred Faith, it was both your journey, but it also talked about what it mean for you in Memphis and what resurrection looked like for you. And yeah. if people don't know, I mean, you, you don't live in the suburbs of Memphis. And so we get text messages uh, hey, someone got someone shooting a gun in my front yard today, and uh, the police are looking for someone. And so you're in a, an environment where, if there ever is a place where resurrection needs to take place, it's where you know, guns are going off on a consistent basis. And obviously, resurrection needs to take place in the suburbs and the apathy and the materialism and all that. So it's not like it's just one place, not the other. But does it ever discourage you being uh, around places where resurrection needs to happen so much, and you go? And I wish it was happening more than this or it's not happening. And if that's such a core as it should be for all of us, does it ever make you question your own commitment to resurrection? Man, I, 
I think it would discourage me more if God did not give almost daily reminders of his activity in the world around me. Hmm. So what does that look like? Daily reminders? Oh, man. Um, some of the, man, it, it seems like almost every day one of these things happen. Either I get a phone call, a text message, some kind of message from someone, maybe it's over Facebook, of what God is doing in their heart or in their life, or how a marriage is coming back together, or um, in my neighborhood, we do live on a corner where there's a lot of foot traffic, and it seems like the days where I'm beginning to doubt, uh, maybe not even doubt, but just question, okay, goodness, man, if the resurrection is the best news for the world, I'm having trouble seeing it right now. And it seems like those are the days that when we let our dog, you know, some reason I'm playing with the boys outside. Those are the days where someone walks on the sidewalk and there's this connection that's made uh, that helps get that relationship below the surface. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's almost like, sweet. I mean, God gives these little, and sometimes they're not like the, they're not the big stories that are going to make the news. They're just little seeds that are either planted or you begin to see some kind of blossom or growth. You know, I, uh, last October, <laughs> I know you and I were in a text message group. So we, uh, dude, hopefully one day nobody, nobody like <laughs> makes a book of the text messages yeah. that, that we said. But they've I mostly just been gifs for me, though. Like they just be pictures. <laughs> <that> I... <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, I can't remember this nine, 10 year old girl was walking down our sidewalk. This was last October. And dude, this is one of the funniest things that's happened to me in the last few years. It was our first time to interact with this girl. And she looked up at us and she said, y'all are from Texas, aren't you? And dude, we were laughing. Have I told you this story? I, I, I don't know if I remember it. Well, your listeners, they need to hear this. Okay. So we're we're living in kind of we live in Binghamton in Memphis. This girl walks down our sidewalk. She says, "Y'all are from Texas, aren't you?" And dude, we don't have like bumper stickers, you know, Texas or you know, we're both from Texas, but we don't wear we don't have Texas stuff on our house. Yeah. And we said, uh, "No, well, actually, we are." But how did you know that? And she said, without without like missing a beat, she said, "All white people are from Texas." <laughs> yeah, I remember that story. <laughs> we said, "Well." Not really. Uh, actually, there's some white people born right here in Memphis. And she said, really? There are? <laughs> We're like, yeah. JT. Come JT. on, uh, But it was crazy because we said, uh, where were you from? Where were you born? And she said, I was born right here in Binghampton. And we said, well, Binghampton's a great place to be from. And, and again, without like missing a beat, she said, no, it ain't. Because we get shot and we die around here. And how do, how do you respond to that, man? When it's like her reality yeah. Uh, at the age of nine or ten, that is the world she lives in. But man, it's so encouraging to me—not just to see people investing in like a neighborhood where we are, but seeing Christians uh, cling to hope in neighborhoods and in churches all over our communities, and attempting to press into the world in a way where the hope of Jesus conquering the grave and what that means for us now mm-hmm. has feet, it has legs, it's moving, and. Even when you don't hear the stories in the news, we know those we know those stories are are happening. Yeah. So for you, as you're trying to continue to deal with grief and your own need for resurrection to help make sense of your life, what encourages you is you see little signs of resurrection bubbling up around you, and so that's yeah. like a daily encouragement for you. Absolutely. Oh, that's good, man. Yep. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I know a lot of times 
if you have doubts or questions, whichever has doubts, um, it typically causes you just to look to yourself and say, well, maybe, maybe this isn't right. I'm going to process this. Let me just think about it more. And, you know, there's that whole thing that, that Luther talked about where sin is like this, this in curve, like it makes you turn in on yourself and like the way of Jesus is always pushing you out and the way of resurrection is always opening yourself up to the world. And that's where you see resurrection uh-huh. popping up. It's not if you just narrowly just focus the world just on yourself, but to look beyond yourself. Yeah. It's good, man. Yeah, that's good. And you know, there are, there are days or seasons, Luke, where I have to, I have to ask God for it, mm-hmm. where you know, God, I, give like reveal your activity around me right now i sometimes this way i mean on sunday mornings that um if there's been a kind of a dry season or i'm in a funk there are times where i'll say god this may come from a weak faith but i think your grace is big enough to carry me through that Mm -hmm. but this sunday will you send three people in the sycamore view church who will who will seek me out to tell me a story of what you're doing in their life and dude, without it, God's never, and not that he would let me down if he didn't perform that because there are other things God has done that are so good. But dude, I, I go home on those days and I just have to fall down to my knees out of gratitude for how God led people to me to tell stories of what he's doing in people's lives. So sometimes we just need to ask God for it. He's a generous giver. And that's the stage, yeah. There's, <clears throat> there are times that I'm in worship and I know the stories of people around me. Uh, you know, yeah. When you're in community, you, you just know the people around you. When you're a pastor, sometimes you get a little bit extra knowledge than, than everyone has. But to know the stories of the people next to me in worship, and sometimes it seems like I don't have enough faith to sing these songs. But as I hear and I see other people singing songs, and in spite of the story that they're going through, their faith is enough for me. And I can just like tap into that and go, okay, this this sustains me. And that's like the power yeah. of community is that you – you hear these stories and you see the stories and go, oh, okay, that, that, that's what we're all tied into. That's what we're yeah. all connected to. And yeah. so, okay, so as you've, six years after you know, Jenny passes away and you make sense of a world and faith in God in which death is uh, at your doorstep and it's not like this abstract thing that just happens when you're 85, but it can happen to, to, to both of us. Jenny was younger than... Uh, she was three years younger than I am right now, and she's four years younger than you are. Um, one, one of the the struggles of being a church planner that I've seen since I'm not one anymore is that when you have a church that's predominantly younger, that death mm-hmm. typically is not part of your community's day-to-day experience. And so as a church planner, like, I wasn't doing funerals. And I don't think I, I, don't think I did a funeral for a person who was a part of our church while I was there. So it never, never happened. And then when I'm now a part of uh, a church that has more of a wide age range, I'm going to lunches with widows who tell stories, you know, 15 widows talking about their husbands who have passed away some a year ago, some 10 years ago. And, you know, this morning I was at a funeral. And it, I think there is a propensity to push off dealing with death when you don't have to deal with it. And it, and it kind of removes the need for a faith that sustains you, not just in life, but also in death. Mm-hmm. Um, Becca Stevens has this great line that has stuck with me that, that life is about learning how to say hello and goodbye. Mm. And when you know you have That's to say good. goodbye, it kind of puts things in perspective. Like when I hear widows talking about their husband, it makes me go, what kind of life do I want to live? Like what stories mm. do, do I want 
to be told about me by not people who like they've heard me talk or they listen to something that I posted on the internet, but I want stories from people who know me, my, my wife and my kids. I want those to be stories that matter. As you've dealt with, with death in your family, when quote unquote, it shouldn't happen when you know, someone's 31, has that shaped how you, you look at your day to day? Has, is it something that you just get used to or does it change your day to day action? And it probably did a lot more, early on, uh, than it does today. Um, uh, but yeah, I think, it, I think it, it sometimes forces you or allows you to be more grateful for the little things. Uh, especially when we are, uh, you know, all of my family, all of our family are in Texas in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Yeah. And when we are able to see them or with them, we cherish those moments, uh, probably more than more than we used to. So it does fill us with gratitude, at least with Casey and me, with our two boys. I think it does cause us to want to do, want to try to create a lot more memories with them every chance we get. Because um, I don't want to think about, and it's kind of happened this year because Truett's eight, uh, Malaya at the age of nine, that's when her my, my sister died, her mother. And I'm like, I cannot imagine Truett in a year living the rest of his life without his mom or dad. And there are some of those moments that just like make you, you know, get a little lump in your throat. And but I think it does cause us, it does allow us to be more grateful and to want to make as many memories as we can. Yeah. We were talking about this on the phone uh, the other day, but that realization hit me last Wednesday. I, I was in my garage doing my workout and, I don't know what happened. Maybe your your sister, excuse me, your your niece had posted something about Jenny or something, and it just it clicked me like, wait a minute, she was two years older than Avery is right yeah. now, and it's just yeah. usually I would think, okay, yeah, that's something that happens to someone else, but it's it's just around everyone's corner up there. Um, yeah, but but did you mention something a minute ago, <laughs> like in a church plant though, when you have a younger church, when there is death. Most likely, it is a tragedy. Yeah, it, cancer, mm-hmm. car wreck. You know, something, something like that. It's not the person who's ninety-seven. Not that these kind of deaths don't sting, but it's not ninety-seven, and they're just at the end of their life and they die this peaceful death. Yeah, it's a different. And it is, and as as pastors, those are different kind of funerals too, man. Because those are some of the hardest funerals I've had to do for infants who are in a small box and you know something's not right you know um is it harder to do funerals in those kind of situations the unexpected funerals now than it was before uh because i would imagine knowing what it's like to sit on that front mm, row mm -hmm. during a tragedy it, it, it would shape what it's like to stand behind the pulpit during one of those tragic funerals yeah, man, I haven't thought about that. I don't know if it's if it's harder because I think my belief in what the resurrection has accomplished is greater than ever. And sometimes funerals are a great place to talk about that. What What is harder is, dude, I still hate, and I do not use the word hate much. We try to teach our boys not to use the word hate. Dude, I hate doing hospital visits. Really? Because the moment, the, well, the moment I walk into a hospital... Something, and I don't know if this will get easier throughout time, but like something triggers in my head, in my memory. And I'm reminded of those 18 days, and I probably was only there maybe 15 of them. 
in the hospital there in Fort Worth. Where I mean, you were there, it seemed like, half those days hanging out with my family. But I just go back to those days of walking the hallways and uh, sitting in waiting rooms. And so it, it's hard for me to walk in the hospitals today for almost any reason, even if it's for good news, like babies are born. There's something about walking in the hospitals that I have a great appreciation for doctors, for nurses, for how God is present with people in the midst of suffering. But it, it's hard for me to walk up and down hallways and enter into rooms. And I don't know if that'll go easier over time or not. Man, I can't imagine. Hospitals are a normal part of my family's, you know, day-to-day life because Lindsay was a nurse and, you know, she will be again. Yeah. And so that's kind of normal. Yeah. But if it wasn't, yeah, that would be the, I, I could completely see that being the only uh, touch point I would have for it. That makes sense. Is she with, she's with babies, right? Yeah. She was needle needle ICU. And so yeah. you're, Malaya wow. and uh, your mom, when, when she was in Denton, they came up on one of, one of these anniversaries and did something for nurses or they bought some stuff for moms mm-hmm. or something like that as a way to honor Jenny. So yeah. Yeah. Every, yeah, every bir- every, uh, August 3rd was, that's Jenny's birthday. Every oh, August man. 3rd, uh, they, they go and they visit that hospital and they take gifts and presents for the nurses. And I mean, six years later, man, my mom stays in touch with uh, a handful of those nurses and doctors and they, they're in touch quite a bit with each other. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. I, I would assume that, yeah, that experience created a bond that, that you can't replicate with any other kind of relationship. I mean, that's the, yeah. yeah. Let, dude, let me, can I toss a few things at you real quick? Sure, man. I, Come on. I mean, processing the last six years, here are some things, and I'll go through quickly and feel free to elaborate or ask questions. Here are some things for me over the last six years that, uh, I mean, man, I'm just going from the moment, Okay that are more important to me than ever. One is the beauty and power of the church. Dude, Hmm. I love and believe in the church more than I ever have in my life. Um, Why? Well, I saw what the church did for my family and the global church, not just the Sycamore View Church. Even though Casey and I now, we've been here almost eight years. We love this place. Do you know how much we love where we are? But when we were for 18 days in that hospital... Uh, I still remember the day where my phone started buzzing and it was vibrating so hard. I was in the waiting room. Uh, uh, Jenny was sick. I'm in that waiting room. My phone starts vibrating and I was trying to answer a text message, but so many were coming in that I couldn't answer them. And it was you at Venture and you put my cell phone number up on the screen and you ask your church to pray over us. You remember that? Yeah, I did. And, dude, we got lit up. I mean, I had like 50 text messages come through at the exact same time to see what the Hills Church did for us. They bent over backwards for our family, the largest church of Christ in the nation, I guess, in the world. And no one in my immediate family is even a member there. We have we have deep friendships, and we've uh, – I think myself, my mom, maybe my dad, my brothers led worship there, but – did you see what they did opening their facility for us? Uh, it, we had we had churches who would bring communion to our families on Sunday. And to see the global church, what they did for us was amazing. And then to see how the Sycamore View people have walked with us for six years. Um, and do they still ask questions about Jenny? I still have people almost every week who ask how my mom and dad are doing, how 
Malay is doing, how David's doing. Like they genuinely care about these people and it means a lot to us. Kind of connected to the church is, dude, I crave sacraments now more than I ever have in my life. And I, and I think since, since the death, dude, I love taking communion with people. If it, that could be a Sunday morning. It could be Tuesday night at the Hillsong United mm-hmm. uh, concert where we, you know, had had kind of a, a uh, interesting but a meaningful little yeah. Eucharistic moment. You didn't get caught on did, stage for that, did you? No, they didn't pick <laughs> no, you. I they didn't. only picked one person. But so, uh, why is sacrament? Why is Eucharist more more meaningful now, or do you crave it more now? Well, I think uh, what are those things that hold us together, and. Yeah. Uh, water, body, blood, uh, confession, expressions of faith. These things, uh, they mean more to me now than, uh, than ever. I, uh, I, I had a sabbatical last year, just a few months ago. So I had six weeks where I wasn't at Sycamore View at all. And dude, I miss taking sacraments with our church. Like I miss those moments that I know they connect us to the greater mission of God that's breaking out all over the world. So, um, so church sacraments, church sacraments. Um, I need to be better at this, but I think I'm more aware of, um, if there's one thing I would encourage the church to do is when there are deaths in families, mark them on calendars because Dude, just like we will uh, send people happy birthday notes or happy anniversary notes, um, people need to be reminded that they have not been forgotten. Because Mm. do anybody who's lost a loved one on that year anniversary, they remember. And for them to know that you have not forgotten. Man, I have a lady, and I'm I'm here in my church office doing this with you, that uh, I get a card from her. I know around this time of year, and she's not the only one, but dude, she, every year I know before February 22nd, this card comes from my friend Stephanie. She's mm-hmm. just a, she's a godsend. And so that, because there's no way you could go through February 22nd without remembering, and it's nice. W- what is it about the card? Like just knowing that other people remember that that people care. What what is it? That's I think so. I think it's yeah that that the that um that we're not forgotten. And for me, especially when people ask about my family, it's that Jenny's life was not in vain. You know, like it's a way that we keep her story alive. And especially when people come and ask me about Malaya, because if you remember at the funeral, one thing I said to her in front of everyone is we're going to fight for your faith. And to see how people do. She turned 16 in April. Uh, she's a sophomore in high school. It's blowing my mind. She's dating a guy right now. Yes. And uh, it's it, it's crazy how much he's growing up. But to know how people still pray for her regularly because that commitment we made together at the Hills Church on February 25th, six years ago, that we're going to fight for her faith to see how that's still alive. And sometimes it's those cards I get that remind me of that. Mm. It's just It's just, it's meaningful, man. It's cool. Yeah. So on the podcast, I've talked about a few books over the uh, 150 or so, I don't know how many episodes I've done. And I've <clears throat> wanted people to read books that I recommend because I like these books. <clears throat> yeah. But I've never wanted someone to read or go get a book as much as I wanted people to go get Scarred Faith after 
you and I were in, in, uh, in Nashville one time, we were walking into a restaurant and you're talking about your, the, the book you did with, with Stormin, uh, bringing heaven to earth, heaven to mm-hmm. whatever it's called. It's, it's a good book. <laughs> Sorry. But you said something, yeah. we we're walking in, we we're in the, like a, a dirt covered parking lot. And you said, you know, part of the reason I hope this book does something is so that people will go back and buy my other book because when people buy that book, it helps keep mm. Jenny's story alive. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, Stormont won that yeah. book to do well because he wanted to get a new truck, but you won that book to do well <laughs> to keep her alive. And that, yeah, that makes sense, man. That's good. That's really good. Um, you know, one of the, the, the parts of the story that gets me every time is uh, <laughs> this is like there's no way to tell the story without sounding terrible. But so like three weeks later, my dog Chief dies. You remember him? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so oh, yeah. you're <clears throat> I wouldn't say you were scared of dogs. You were not like scared of Chief, but you didn't like you guys weren't tight. Like you're, you weren't like you got a dog now, but you're not a dog person. OK, like that's just who you are. That's fine. I'm way more a dog person than a cat person. All right. Okay. Well, that's not saying a whole lot. That's not saying a whole lot. It's like, I'm more of a dog person than I am of a parrot person. Okay. You don't have a parrot. (laughs) But so Chief dies like three weeks after. And I remember you called up and said, dude, I'm really sorry to hear about Chief dying. And I was like, why are you even talking about a stupid dog dying (laughs) when your sister just passed away? And I get emotional every time I think about that because it was, oh, wow. It's a sign of like, this is really petty in my life. It's completely meaningless in light of what you've gone through. But like what family community and, and friendship does is like, this is your, your little bit of, I don't even want to say the word suffering. This is your little bit of a hiccup in life. And I've gone through a whole lot, but I still care about you enough to acknowledge this little hiccup that you're going through. Mm. And yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's cool. Kind of, I don't, I don't remember that, but I'm glad you do. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, of course you don't remember because you're not really a dog person. You don't care. But, uh, <laughs> no, no. but let me uh, – how about a funny story? You ready? Oh, let's hear a funny story. Uh, so um, I have a couple of tattoos, right? Mm-hmm. If you're – I think my mom is fully aware of that, so she's going to definitely listen to this podcast. Okay? We can believe that um, if you want me to. So <laughs> no, no, it's cool, man. It's cool. After the second one – Casey made me um, commit that I would never get another one, right? Okay. Well, dude, if you've talked to people who have a tattoo, like I have no desire to have full sleeves or anything. Um, Mm -hmm. But dude, you want more. Like they just become really cool. Yeah, I feel the same way about prayer. Like I just want to keep praying. (laughs) You feel that way about tattoos. Yeah, whatever. All right, all right. Whatever. Well, dude, after I got my second one, I mean, I got my second one, dude. This is nine, ten years ago. Uh And Casey told me, I... She's like, two that I don't want you to get any more. Okay. So she made me sign an air contract. So in the air, <laughs> she, we're in the car driving. And I'm like, dude, that is not going to hold up in the court of law. Okay? No, that's not something. But, so a year after Jenny's death, I was like, I start trying to use her death so I could get a new, <laughs> new tattoo. Like, but Casey, don't you think Jenny would want me to have something on my body to remember her life for? Do you think that worked with my wife? No, not at all. No, not at all, man. No, no. You not tried, though. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, I would have done the same thing. But uh, no, it's too funny. Yeah. Well, boss, thanks for uh, taking the time to talk. Um, we'll post this actually on the six-year anniversary of it. So I know it's a, a special day for you and your family. So thanks for uh, sharing that with the rest of us. And uh, much love to you in the 901. Hey, man, right back at you, dude. Thanks for the conversation. 
Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.